Good morning, everyone, and welcome. This is Seek Sustainable Japan. I'm JJ Walsh, based here in Hiroshima, Japan. And today I have the pleasure of talking once again with Kathleen Birkinshaw in North Carolina in the US. Thanks so much for joining, Kathleen. Oh, thank you for having me again. It's so nice to be back and to see you again, Joy. Fantastic. Uh, this time of year, I actually have been walking around enjoying all the autumn trees, especially the ginkgo trees. And it really made me think of you, Kathleen, because I know that you have gotten one of Hiroshima's survivor trees. There around you, you were able to get one of the seeds and give hope beyond Hiroshima. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? I love it. Oh, sure, sure. In 2017, about a year after the book came out, I partnered with Green Legacy Hiroshima. And my daughter was at UNC Wilmington at the time, and she was um, in the Japan Club. And so she worked with her Japanese professor to do a fundraiser so that we could bring one of the trees and the saplings to be able to plant them there. And so um, we grew a sapling for a little bit, and then we brought it there, and they had this beautiful ceremony to plant it and to dedicate it to not just the Ishikawa family, but to all of the victims in the war. And so it, it's growing beautifully. It survived a big hurricane a couple years ago, and uh, it's pretty resilient, just like the uh, Hibakusha were. So um, uh, it's growing I, very nicely on campus. I was just walking through uh, Shukayan Gardens in Hiroshima, mm -hmm. and we have one of the beautiful survivor trees there. And it's, it's actually leaning toward the blast and that that is always a point of conversation for visitors if i do virtual tours or in-person tours and even to remind me you know that that regrowing gave hiroshima people so much hope to see that things could regrow right exactly exactly yeah. i think it's on your blog that you show uh this picture of how the trees looked right after the yes. bombing in 1945 and you know walking around there's so much despair of course because you've lost so many people but also seeing how nature was completely destroyed and so you can imagine and i love that part of the hiroshima museum when you walk mm. around it shows a big picture of a tree and it says when it started growing again it gave hiroshima people so much hope and so I love that Green Legacy Hiroshima project. Yes. Taking the saplings and the seeds from Hiroshima trees that survived mm -hmm. and sending it around the world to give, give hope around the world because we all need hope, right? Exactly, exactly. And so we were able to have North Carolina be the seventh state in the US to have one of those. And in fact, the mother tree is in the Shuken Garden. Um, of that. And my daughter, when she studied in Japan for a semester, she took some friends there and then she went into the park and was able to have a picture near it. So it was sort of like a full circle kind of thing. Was How really wonderful. Now let's uh, backtrack a little bit, Kathleen, for people who don't know your story and uh, the backstory that actually started you writing this beautiful book, which is aimed at young readers. Um, so you grew up with a Japanese mom and 
What always amazes me about your story, Kathleen, is that you didn't know she was from Hiroshima for a long time, right? No, no, she didn't tell. She told everyone she was from Tokyo. And it was really when I was around 11 and my mom had nightmares all the time. But in August, they were very concentrated. And I had remembered that the summer before, it was pretty bad in August too. Oh, and there's my mom and I. <laughs> um, and she finally told me that she was actually born in Hiroshima, but she lost her home and her family uh, to the atomic bombing. And it was too much to even talk anymore about it. So she also said, don't talk about it either. Um, so it was pretty shocking to, to find that out at 11. And then as I got older to really understand more what she might have gone through um, when I read the book Hiroshima by John Hersey. That was really the first time. Uh, and I remember going to my mom and asking her about with the book and she took the book and she pushed it aside and she said no words could ever describe it. Um, and, you know, I, I really didn't learn much about what happened until I was in my 30s. And it was interesting because I had become very sick I was diagnosed with reflex sympathetic dystrophy, which is a uh, chronic neurological pain disease that affects the uh, sympathetic nervous system as well as your immune system. And the doctors had attributed to um, my mother being exposed to radiation during the atomic bombing as to why my immune system had been so badly damaged and then opened up for this disease. And uh, I knew I'd have to give up doing my career that I worked for. And I had, Sarah was four at the time, and I really didn't know how I was going to do that. And I became very uh, depressed and despondent. And my mom saw that. And she had come to help take care of me and my daughter once I got home from the hospital. And she started to tell me a little bit um, what happened on August 6th and afterwards. And she then told me, that I'm telling you this because I wanted to kill myself and I plan to do that after the bombing because I lost everyone. But she said, I'm so glad I didn't because I had you and now I have a granddaughter to love. And she said that I have the same blood flowing through me so I can find that same strength to push forward in my own way. Um, so she was sharing something with me to help me feel better. Um, but yet I hope that also by her being able to talk about it in detail where she hadn't before. Um, and really at that point, nothing else was really talked about at that point until my daughter was in seventh grade. And, you know, she really had a hand in how everything ended up happening because they had just finished World War II and she remembers she was leaving the classroom and she overheard some kids talking about that cool mushroom cloud. And she asked if I would go in and talk about the people who were under that cloud, um, like her grandmother. And I remember calling to ask my mom and I fully expected her to say no because she had been so private about it since then. And she said, yes. And she said, yes, because those children would be around the same age that she was. She was 12 when the bomb was dropped and she felt they could relate to her story better. Um, and also she knew they'd all be voting someday. And she wanted them to leave that classroom knowing that nuclear weapons should never be used again. Um, and so by going in to speak to the class, 
it was very interesting because you then find out that the students didn't really know much about it. You know, there's not a lot in history books. There's a couple of paragraphs and, and the mushroom cloud picture, but they don't know about the people underneath it. And so being able to do that then led to people asking if there would be a book that could go along with it so they could have something on the Pacific side of the war. And um, being able to do that and talk with my mom and learn more about it really helped bring us much closer. Um, and the things that she shared and the emotion that she let me see in her um, was something that I'll never forget. And um, it's just wonderful how my daughter had a play in it. And so there were these three generations, which my mom always talked about, you know, the three Ishikawa women. And um, to be able to do that and honor her and continue to honor her by having the book um, and talking to students and talking to wonderful people like yourself today. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that, Kathleen. I, I can see and I know it's so hard for you to talk about your mom's story that it hits you every time. Um, this is, I've started doing more tours um, in Peace Park and I have to limit myself to mm -hmm. doing it only once a month. It's so powerful. And I know you're battling through your own physical uh, pain as well. How do you work through it? I saw on your blog that uh, you have started journaling as, as one of your ways to kind of work through your emotions as well, right? Yes, yes. It kind of um, helps to center me a little bit if I can get them out on the page uh, and maybe not ruminate on them as much. And, and when I do that, I think, I try to take some of that emotion. And in the past, I used it when I was doing uh, writing for The Last Cherry Blossom to kind of put that into it of, you know, um, I've had moments of despair with the pain and, and kind of how my mom must have felt at that point. And now, you know, I'm recovering from spinal surgery in February and there were some complications uh, and I ended up not being able to walk afterwards. And so I've been learning to walk again using a walker. And it's been a painful time uh, trying to work through that. But I started writing again. And it was really my mom's story that helped me one more time, even though she's no longer here. Um, being able to talk to some of the schools again and doing those virtual visits, being able to try to share a story um, with the students uh, and just being able to do that has kind of given me a little bit more hope to remind me of what my mom said, you know, uh, almost 20 years ago that I could find that strength to keep pushing. Um, and so she's always with me, helping me now, just as she did 20 years ago. And I really treasure that. And by being able to write in the journal, it really gets me trying to write even further and working on the sequel. And um, so it gives me some place to kind of escape maybe for a half hour from the pain and just kind of get somewhere else um, and research and uh, learn more about that time period. And uh, it, it definitely helps now because I have a lot more pain than I had even a year ago. So <clears throat> that's really powerful. And I appreciate you joining this show. I know you you are battling through some pain right now. So uh, whenever you, you need to go, just let us know. We're happy to get as many minutes as we can. So oh, whenever sweet. you're ready. Oh, um, I just want to point out behind you, you've got that beautiful illumination of the pink, pink cherry blossoms. 
and you've got the picture of your mom and her dad, yeah. right? Who are yes. central to the book. They are, they are. It was really their relationship that showed me something. And, you know, even though I didn't know my mom was from uh, Hiroshima for a long time, but she always had a picture, that picture, that was always up in a special place of honor. And I knew how much she loved him because she told me stories of her childhood and being with her papa and how he made her feel and how um, the way she spoke about it, I could tell that he loved her you know, just as much. And so it was really looking at that picture. My mom had sent me a copy of it after I had told her that I was thinking of doing a book. And looking at that, it just really gave me the focus of it's about relationships. It's about her family life and her happy memories as well and her friendships that she had. And so being able to put that into the book, um, I think it helps people to really relate to it because a lot of it is similarity. There are family issues that are going on that other people may have. You know, she didn't like to do homework and she was messy. I mean, and she didn't get along with the people in her house. And so there was a lot of that piece to it. Um, and so that they could really understand then what she lost after August 6th. And um, so it was uh, really important to make sure that relationship was given. But I also wanted to do the relationship with a friend, uh, Machiko. And she had someone, she didn't get along with a lot of people, and um, but she really felt a closeness with Machiko, even though she was a few years older than her. And uh, the, the friendship that they had and the things that they'll get into, and um, you know, when she did lose her that day, how much it affected her and um, moving forward and what her life was then gonna be. Uh, and so what I love is when the Japanese translation came out, their cover, was based on the two girls of Machiko and my mom underneath the cherry trees for the, the last cherry blossom celebration that she went to. And so that made me very happy to see that. And to also see the, the girl with the red sweater and the braids is my mom. And so I don't have any pictures of her from that time frame. So it was just so sweet to see something of that drawn for her uh, for this edition that's gonna be in her home country, which uh, in her native language, which to me is uh, a wish that I didn't think was gonna come true. You just never know. And it was just amazing to know that they also wanted to do something with a book at Hope Chupan. And the translator there, um, Yoshida Chiyoko, she was wonderful. You know, she took a lot of care and compassion in how she translated it um, as well in the art. Um, it's interesting because the person who designed the cover is Ogawa-san, um, her first name is Keiko. And she's actually originally from Hiroshima. And so she did the cover design for that and the book jacket. And uh, the wonderful artist um, was uh, Ishiki Mayumi. Yes, I wrote it down just because I forget as I <laughs> go along. But she did a beautiful job of that. And it's just, it makes my heart so happy every time I see that. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, my mom can see that too. Uh, and know that children in Japan can also be reading that story now. Um, as well. Yeah. I think the Japanese version came out after we talked the first time. Oh, yes, yes. It, it just came out August 12th. So it's yeah. very new. 
have you have you had any reactions from teachers or the publishers about uh, reactions to it in Japanese? Yes, I've had some teachers um, already contact me to be able to do some virtual visits. Um, and also, I've seen that there have been some reviews that people have done of the book. And it means a lot to me that they liked it because you never know being Japanese American, you know, my mom was from Japan, but my dad was a white American. And so you don't quite know how it might be received. And you really hope that you researched really well so that you can portray the life accurately. Uh, and during that time in the culture, I, I wanted to show such great respect for that. And to know when you see some readers who have said, you know, how it, it touched them um, and, and how they look at August 6th very differently now. And, and sadly, this message is so needed even today. Um, and so I think with it being out there to try to read the story, to connect with the humanity, you know, it's, uh, nuclear weapons are not just a political issue, they're a humanity issue. And I think, you know, every time they talk about using atomic weapon or there's an article about it, I truly feel they should have a story in there um, of a Habaksha, a short story about what they lost um, and what they went through, because I think you need to kind of have that together. So, so whoever's voting or the, the leaders will see it's not just about something that will happen over there. You know, it affects people, innocent people who have nothing to do with any of it. And I, I just feel that it's so important to have something like that. And so I'm so happy that they feel connected with it as well. It, it means a lot to me. Um, this, this edition just touches my heart so much because I know my mom would be so happy that this was, that you know, someone would want to read it in Japan as well, so. That's, it's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's, it's so wonderful to see it in English as well as Japanese. Uh, you've you've been able to share it so much with the American audience and uh, talking to school groups. You also were able to share it at the United Nations bookstore in New yes. York, right? Yes, just uh, three, three years ago this month, uh, I was invited to speak at the United Nations and to also speak with some teachers that were there as well. And being able to meet the Nobel Prize winner, um, Dr. Kathleen Sullivan, who was part of the ICANN program uh, for the Nobel Peace Prize, and to be able to speak with them about my mother's story. And then it was such an honor when they then put the last cherry blossom on the United Nations Office of Disarmament Affairs uh, resource for education resource for teachers and students. And that just meant so much to me. And it has given me an opportunity to meet so many other students. I've been able to speak with students from around the world. And it's just been amazing to know, you know, my mom said to me when I talked about the book, you know, who, well, who's gonna really care about this 12 year old girl in Hiroshima? And you know, with all that, I've spoken to thousands of kids by now since the book came out in 2016 and even before then. And the one thing that they say that really touched them, that makes them want to do something about it, is the story of that 12 year old little girl. Oh, those are wonderful students that I got to meet with. There's just been to be able to meet with the younger generation and to hear them how emotional the book made them and, and how it changes the way that they look at things. Um, you know, my mom, her thing was that, you know, they'll walk out of that room knowing that those weapons shouldn't be used again. And, and they all fully do. And, you know, it's not when 
the kids had were talking about the mushroom cloud. They just didn't know. You know, there was there was no connection for them. But by being able to talk with them and for them to read her story, it brings that connection to them. And then they they'll understand why no family should ever go through that again. And and that's really what I'm hope that I'm bringing with students when I meet with them. And it 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 means a lot to me. They give me a lot more energy and hope to keep going uh, as well. So that's wonderful. Uh, so when you go to the schools and when you do Zoom sessions and talk mm -hmm. to people online about the book, uh, I came across some of your your uh, kind of support. Uh, images that you use to talk about Japanese words. For example, here, uh, you explain sakura and kimono and shoji. Um, you, there's so many wonderful Japanese culture elements as part of your book, right? I'm yes. sure they, they appreciate that. Yes, and I really wanted to do that because I felt that if you can show some of the customs, you know, that's kind of like an unspoken dialogue to see what really matters to them. So they learn more about the culture, what the politics were at that time, what they were hearing on their end with propaganda, um, just so they understand like the everyday life. And it shows some of the differences and how they lived, but it also showed them, you know, like the children, like my mom, they love their families. They love their friends. You know, they, they didn't know what was going to happen with the war and they wished for peace, you know, and, and that's everything that the allied children were, were thinking and feeling. And so to be able to bring that recognition in uh, as well. And actually, those photos are from someone had put that together for a school project uh, and, and had done that. And I was just so happy because I meant, oh, OK, so they were really interested in learning about it. And, you know, we, we did the glossary at the end uh, because I really wanted to include the Japanese word, but I didn't want to always have to be explaining. So I tried to do that within the dialogue. But at the same time, I wanted them to look it up so that if they really wanted to know more, to make it more um, real to them or to, to, to bring them closer into the story and the setting as well. That's awesome. Uh, one thing I was reminded of uh, reviewing is how, of course, uh, when you were writing the book and telling your mom's story, uh, people around you were actually worried about whether it was the right thing to do for you. And I found this on your blog talking about how your your father was really concerned about, as an American, how to tell the story to mm -hmm. Americans and it being such a political point that he was he was worried about uh, you having a backlash, right? Yes, he really was. And, you know, that's why he kept asking me, well, what lens are you using? And I said, well, I'm not using an American or a Japanese when I'm using a little girl and to show what it is. And, and, and I made a point of really not making the book political in any way, but to tell this is a time in someone's life and, and what happened and how now that we know what it can do. It's a crime, and technically, it really is a war crime. If it should ever happen again, um, and and so I was nervous because my dad made me a little nervous. But it was so nice to know that once it was out there, you know, we had um, soldiers in our family too, and and we have great respect for that. And and I wasn't siding one or the other. You know, I what I um, like to try to do is is to tell students that 
both sides, both stories can coexist. They're very important stories. I had the, the wonderful uh, privilege of being able to go to Oak Ridge in Tennessee. And they're the ones that had the plant that actually uh, enriched the uranium for the actual bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. And of course, when you're talking with students, a lot of their parents or grandparents probably had worked there. And I said, you know, they were doing their job for their patriotic and that's what they did. And their stories are important, but we also need to know what happened and that's important. And I'm hoping that, you know, it can kind of bring peace to be to be that bridge so they can both coexist uh, and, and learn about them. Uh, but then to understand, you know, that that it shouldn't be done again. So. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's really important, like you say, to to understand that it is complicated and there are stories on both sides and we we need to tell them all, you know, and let people get all the information, especially students to get a variety of information input mm. and really try to work it out for themselves. Um, it's what so happened, right? Yes, yes, because you can't demonize or villainize a whole group of people, of citizens for something they have nothing to do with. And I think it's just so important that we don't go with, well, they did this, so then that happened because that that's not reality either and i think it's just so important to the more that we can connect with the stories i think that um the more people will see you know the the humanity and um one of the things that i've been working on too is i'm on this advisory council for the international center for multi-generational legacies of trauma it's a long name but basically they do such important work uh there where they deal with the second and third generations of people. So even though the victims have passed away, it still lives on in the family. And uh, Dr. Yael Danieli is the one who started this, and she started with the Holocaust uh, victims. And they found that the second and third generations were dealing with a lot of psychological, a lot of social issues, a lot of physical issues. And that's not always talked about. And so with, when it comes to um, the Baksha, you know, a lot of times, most of the time when they do talk about something with nuclear weapons and disarmament, they will respectfully mention of, you know, over the 130,000 people that died, but they don't mention the tens of thousands of people that lived and the families that they had. Um, and also depending upon where they grew up, if they grew up in Japan or like myself, they grew up here. Um, and I have a physical issue from this and some emotional because, you know, I, I watched my mother dealing with her feelings, which would probably be PTSD now, but you know, I didn't understand. She didn't understand why she would do that. And, and so it does affect you um, and it stays with you. And my daughter, you know, has had to deal with, you know, at times she would have seen my mom, but she also saw what happened to me and being sick and knowing that, you know, part of it is where it came from. Um, and so it's very important that we also look to that piece as well when we're talking about things. And I think that's just, I don't think it's always thought about. There's a conspiracy of silence a lot with, with anything with that, even with the, the nuclear testing. And um, so I'm really hoping that by working with that group 
Um, and uh, there's a group in Hiroshima, you may already know about them. It's uh, the Global Alliance for Sustainable Peace and Prosperity for All. They're out of Hope Hiroshima, that, that organization. And um, I'm on the steering committee there. And it's, it, it's just been wonderful to work with them because they also want to bring awareness and how important it is. And they're able to travel to some of the places um, to discuss the, the treaty for pro prohibition of nuclear weapons and Article 6 and 7 deals with the victims specifically. And they've been doing a wonderful job. So to try to be on a piece of that, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that in addition to when I talk with students, by working with this, um, you know, my, my big thing is that I want to leave something to the students and I know that their empathy will continue to grow from that point. And um, so when they become adults and they know how they can try to vote for things and work for things. And, um, you know, maybe also today, I mean, just thinking that someone who doesn't look like you or maybe different or um, you consider them like an enemy, you know, they're not that different from us. You know, we all have a heart. We all feel emotions. And that is, you know, something that is going to link us, you know, that is definitely timeless. And in a changing world, a changing technology world, we still need to, oh my God, your cat is so cute. <laughs> it's adorable. I'm sorry. He just he needs a cuddle sometimes. Oh, yeah, so he's so joining cute. us now. Um, my I, my I dog is here. <laughs> you might have your dog up on your shoulders soon. Um, but having that, that taking it from the anonymous masses who, who died because of this bomb or who were injured or survived the bomb, taking it to that individual level. These are mothers, these are sisters, these are people who survived, right? Exactly. And I, exactly. I think that's one of the most powerful things about your book, especially aimed at young readers and from the perspective of a child, your mother, as she was 12 years old, right? Yes, yes, so that they see everything through her eyes, and which is also why I wanted it to be in first person, to be able to talk, tell about it that way, because they're experiencing it at the same time. And I have heard from students that that's exactly what they do. It really brings them in there, and they can almost feel that same emotion. Um, I'm going to get emotional <laughs> that, that she would have been going through, you know, at, at that time. And it, it touches them in a way that you know just reading a history book is not going to do it and and it just shows that we need so many more stories to be introduced into the classroom so many different countries so many different pieces um that need stories that need to be told and um i'm very grateful to all the teachers and the librarians out there who introduce my book to the students it 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 means more to me than I think they'll they'll ever know. You don't make money being a historical fiction author. I mean, so it's it's really about the connection then, you know, that you, you get. Uh, being able to talk about my mom, which is also like visiting with her every time that I do it too, so. Yeah, that's, that's really powerful. Uh, I love this quote um, on the Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation. I will never forget her voice when she would tell this story and every single time she would cry as if it was just happening all over again. Wow, that's yeah. so powerful. And she really would, you know, and she was not someone who would cry in public, but to see her break down and 
become a 12 year old again, you know, and at that point she would have been in her 60s, 70s, you know, and to see that, um, it really affected me a lot. And so that's why when we were talking earlier about the emotion, um, I can hear her voice, you know, and it just really, it saddens me so much because now, you know, I think of that 12 year old and how I would have loved to gone up to her and say, you're going to be okay. You know, something is going to work out. It doesn't look like it now, but it will. And it just makes me think of all the children now who are in various war zones um, and, and what they're going through. And, um, and it angers me when I hear, you know, low, low yield nuclear weapons, or, you know, there, there's no such thing as a low yield. Um, and, and it just angers me to know that we know what can happen. And yet we're still talking about it. We're still threatening it. We still have so many of them that are so powerful. Um, and today, because of people having different countries having them, we're going to feel it as well. It's not going to happen somewhere over there and us knowing, oh, well, nobody else has one. So we're good. Um, it, it's going to affect us and, um, and the environment. And I just think that it, I don't want to get off on the tangent. It just really, really, it saddens me and it angers me um, whenever I hear that on the news or I read about it. Sometimes it just kind of makes you feel a little powerless at the same time. You know, um, it's, really, it's that level of hopelessness. Right. Mm -hmm. And you you mentioned the environment and I was reading about, you know, the latest uh, scientists saying that if another nuclear weapon is used, it could collapse all of our food systems. Yes. You know, it's the weapons that they are holding and using as a threat in case of war now are so much more powerful than we had in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And we know the devastation from those right. was horrible enough, you know? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, now yes. you had a chance uh, to talk to uh, people, I think it was the Peace Center in Hiroshima as a daughter of a survivor, right? Yes, I had the opportunity to speak with, uh, along with Naomi Hirahara, who is a, a Arthur, and um, as well as uh, Yuki, um, oh goodness, her last name escapes me, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but they all being daughters of Habaksha and being able to talk about our moms uh, and what they went through and then how their stories affected us. And so when the museum invited me to speak, I was so honored that I could do that, you know, and that I'd be able to talk on my mom's behalf uh, and to share her story. And we were also sharing ours as well as, as being the daughters. And um, it was such a special moment. It really, um, you know, there are a few things that have happened like the UN and then speaking there that have just touched my heart in such a way that it, it, it's kind of hard to explain. I, I just, I'm so glad I could honor my mom in that way, you know? Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, there's so many things I want to talk about, but I, I don't think we touched on the sequel much yet. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your your grandma or the woman that you knew as your grandma and then how how that's going with your sequel now? Sure, sure. Um, the sequel that I'm working on, and it's still very much in draft stage um, due to my illness and, and stops and starts, but it, it's about five years, four to five years after the atomic bombing. And so at this point, my mom is with um, uh, 
another family member. But the, the woman that I grew up knowing as my grandmother is the woman that my mom lived with for the longest time once they moved. And there she is. That's Miyako Okazaki. Uh, my daughter's middle name is, is after her. Uh, and um, from knowing her, and I've heard stories of my mom when she was living with her and, and how things went. I don't know as much as I did as far as the August 6th piece, but I know some of the things that my mom went through. And so a lot of it is dealing with, um, I guess it would be the PTSD now. They didn't call it that then. They didn't know what that was. But she, you know, she didn't understand why she was still alive. She had a lot of survivor guilt. Um, and she didn't know she it would be worth to love somebody again after losing her papa and losing her best friend. She thought maybe just being alone would be the best way. Um, and she didn't want to get close to this woman who's sort of like a stepmother to her. Uh, and it was just a lot of what she's trying to deal with because also at that time, you know, we had the occupation forces that were there in Tokyo. Um, and, and a lot of Tokyo was decimated from the uh, firebombing. Uh, in fact, a lot more people died from that than they did with the uh, atomic bombing. Uh, so she's learning to live in that environment and to try to make new relationships, maybe make a friendship, um, but wondering if anybody would really understand what she went through. Uh, and when she went there, it was kind of like they were ostracized because, you know, she mentioned she was from Hiroshima. She said she had people that would literally back up from her, um, thinking that the radiation could just come out because nobody really knew. Uh, my mom lived her life there expecting to die at any moment. Um, you know, they, she... In, in the first book, they talk about the blue spots that happen to appear because of the cancer um, from the radiation. And she would literally check her body every day and then mark off a day on her calendar that, okay, this is one more day without any. So she just expects like maybe tomorrow I'll get them um, and something will happen to me. So she, she had all of that. And at the same time, for what I'm learning too, is there was a lot of censorship, obviously, because since the, the, uh, the victorious troops were occupying there, they didn't talk about the atomic bombing. They weren't allowed to talk about the atomic bombing. And she she didn't want it to be forgotten, but she didn't know how much to do a voice, how to do that voice. And, and so a lot of that is covered there. There's some fictitious things, but I'm also bringing out some actual historical things that wouldn't have involved my mom, but how it evolved there. And uh, a lot of it is trying to deal with the emotional piece of it um, and, and learning to love again. And a lot of the emotion um, especially this past seven months, I've had my own uh, post-traumatic stress after what happened to me. And so uh, I've been dealing with panic attacks. And um, so that's another reason why I was journaling, because I feel that I can then put that in there. And, and these are all feelings that people still feel today. They're, they're, there's trauma for, you know, it doesn't have to be an atomic bomb that traumatizes you. And so I'm hoping that I can bring some issues there, as well as though talking about that historical time, which is again, a lot of people don't know very much about. Um, and I hope that then they can see how my mother starts to, uh, you know, push through some things and, and the strength that she finds and the people that come into her life that help her want to move forward. And, and um, I won't touch upon in the book, but ultimately all those experiences led her to have the the bravery, I think, and the strength to, you know, marry an American and then go live in America, uh, where you didn't speak much of the language right away. And, and, you know, they were the ones that dropped the mom and how she wanted to find some way 
that there could be love, that there could be something like that. And um, I think those years after the bombing is really what shaped her. You know, um, she had her struggles, but she was the bravest person. You know, I'll ever know. I won't be as brave as she is in anything, but um, it, it gives me hope when I think about, you know, all that she did in spite of everything, so. That's amazing. Yeah, I, you know, I often get asked um, by people, why would someone want to visit a dark tourism or a, such a dark place like Kudosma, like Peace Park? Um, why would someone want to read about it, right? Um, but one of the things that I say, and I would love to hear your opinion about this, Kathleen, is I think all of us can understand loss and suffering on some level. And when we read these stories about how people went through the ultimate, most horrible experiences and somehow found the strength to move on and rebuild their lives, I think we can all take inspiration from that, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, with they, and I think it, I was almost that way too when I would think of Hiroshima. You know, you still think of, well, the bombing and the fires. And But when I actually visited there, um, we went in 2015 after my mom passed away to honor her on the memorial wall. And, um, you know, it is a beautiful place. And my mom always talked about how beautiful it was where she grew up. There's the mountains, there's the sea, um, you know, and, and I always talk about there are palm trees there. I never thought of it as being... <laughs> You know, they have palm trees that really affected me. But, um, but when you go to Peace Park, you know, people say, well, are, are they angry or are they? No, they're talking about peace. You know, they don't want this to have happened for nothing. You know, people who went through this and suffered, peace should come out of it. And, and yes, there are things that you will see that are, I guess you could say, dark and awful. But at the same time, they balance that, which Japan is so good at balancing with things, you know. Um, and, and so then they also have the peace part of it. And it's beautiful there. And I think the stories that you learn um, and, and how you can relate to them, because like you said, everybody grieves. Everybody has some kind of a loss. And, you know, when you were talking about that, I remember this was when we could still visit in person, right before, maybe about six months before um, COVID, I went to a school out in Raleigh, North Carolina. And there was a young girl there that came up to me to um, for me to sign her book. And she said, I feel so bad of what your mother went through. She said, she lost people. And she said, I lost people too. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And she said, I lost many people in my family. She was from one of the Eastern Bloc countries. And so she said, but reading your mother's story and to know that there was hope at the end, she says, gives me hope too. And I won't ever forget her. You know, I will never forget that moment of hearing that, you know, because I know my mom didn't expect any of that. But but just to know that it doesn't have to just be war, even it, it's any kind of loss. And if you can see that, I mean, it can give some hope. And I, I hope that's exactly what it does. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Uh, yesterday, I was in the, the Black Building right next to the A-Bomb Dome, which is where UNITAR is. Uh, the United Nations for the Asia region. 
And they, I remember talking with Nasreen. Oh, yes, uh, yes, I know. Years her. ago, right? And uh, she was one of the co founders of this wonderful Green Legacy Hiroshima project after she was director at Unitar. And she told me she would bring warring nation people from, from Asia who uh, were working on conflict resolution to that office. And they would look out at the A-bomb dome and just being there, no one had to point that out, just being there and seeing it and walking through the park was such an important part of that seminar or that workshop, just seeing it. And, uh, you know, witnessing the power of the nuclear weapons. And if that happened to a building, what Imagine. happened to the people? And we need to work out our differences, you know, because yes. we don't want that to happen. Exactly. So, really powerful. And I, I think um, telling stories like from your mother and stuff, it it has that same effect, right? It, it personalizes these abstract ideas of war and strategy and yes, exactly. what actually happens, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, so, any you said you're working on the the sequel, and are you are you able to do any talks um, on Zoom? I saw one you were doing with an Australian group. Yes, um, a few years ago. Yes, that was wonderful. That was like the first time I got a fan letter from another country of of that young girl and how she had. Um, read the book and to be able to speak to people. I've spoken to schools in India um, and of course in Japan. I, I've done things with the uh, Hiroshima International School where they've used the last cherry blossom as part of their whole seventh grade program. And they actually, on my website, they made um, the trailer for the book for me. Uh, and also I'll be speaking at the uh, American International National School in Tokyo. I might have the words mixed up, but uh, so, and I still speak to the students around here as well. So it's been wonderful to have that. And, you know, with COVID having to get to know to use that better, but it also opens it up for me because with my, my condition, I can't always travel places. So it gives me an opportunity that I can, you know, meet with students and to uh, engage in a dialogue with them. And um, it really, to me is one of the best things about being an author is being able to do that. That's wonderful and so important. You're touching so many lives and connecting ideas for so many people that you you probably have no idea of. Um, now, one person that's very directly involved uh, is your daughter. How is she doing? She was one of the, the reasons that these stories about your mom came to light in the first place, right? Yes, yes, it was her request that started it all. And, you know, to watch her in college, to take control of the fundraising and to set things up, you know, doing it for my mom, uh, it, it, it just was so wonderful to know that she'll also carry out a piece of it. She's going to do it differently. But on the 75th anniversary, she spoke with me when we did that program. Um, she's spoken with the last two years for various programs. And to be able to sit next to her and to hear her talk about my mom or about me or the story and how it affects her, it makes me so proud because I know my mom would be so proud. 
that she's going to carry that on as well and and find her own way to do it and being young i think helps a lot you know she's in her 20s and i think that is a great age to reach out to other young adults uh, to talk about it. And she's done some wonderful things with it and has done some podcasts. And oh, there's much. That was from her graduation in high school. That's my mom next to her. I love yeah. her purple hair there. I, no. I My hair is so naturally white right now. And so I sometimes <laughs> think maybe I should just go purple. I love that. <laughs> well, you and know, my grandmother about your your Grammy also having purple hair. She did, yes, yeah, she can kind of see just a little bit there, but I, it was very surprising to see that. And my daughter says, "Well, that must be where I get it." Right now, she's kind of has like a teal blue because she's now working at UNC Wilmington. <laughs> so, but uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, but that that whole idea of of how your your daughter is taking it all in how she is adding it to her own experiences and then doing whatever by telling it to other people, podcasting, like you said. Um, this is something we're thinking a lot in Hiroshima as the actual survivors are passing because it's passed, you know, 77 years now. And uh, the next generation, even beyond our generation, Kathleen, our, <laughs> our children, yes. my children growing up in Hiroshima, um, your daughter knowing the story, right? These, this next generation, how they interpret, how they uh, put these stories into their activism or even how they vote is really yes. important, right? Very much so, very much so. And I, I'm really glad that, you know, she's not afraid to speak up and to, to tell the story. Uh, even when she was studying in Japan, how she took some students, you know, and did a tour around there, talked about, you know, what my mother went through and where she would have been located. And, and it's just a, a wonderful thing, you know, that she can keep carrying it on. Uh, and hopefully we won't need to keep talking about the story so that something doesn't happen again. That would really be nice. <laughs> Isn't that, that's so true, right? Like you, you often hear that from peace activists like yourself. And, and I feel that too. Wouldn't it be great if we just didn't have to talk about it? Um, but we do see how if we stop talking about it and people don't think about it, then they start to use the idea of nuclear weapons again because exactly. they're separated from the stories. They don't, yes. they don't have any context anymore, right? Exactly, because a lot of them, you know, wouldn't have maybe their parents who were involved with it before. And so for them, it's just a story, you know, that happened over 70 years ago. And you're so right. I think we need to keep their voices alive, which is what I love at, at the museum. I know they're training people, even though they didn't have any you know, relation to someone uh, so that they can keep telling the Habaksha story, which is so important. And uh, I think we need to keep doing that because that's what's going to get to people. I mean, I, I really feel that if you don't have that connection, all this stuff about treaties, which are important and the statistics and everything else you give up, it's not going to make them want to care or to think about. But once they see, oh, my God, that could be my grandmother. That could be me. This could be. And then they're like, OK, so what what can we do? You know, um, and I really feel that that's what needs to be done. And, and that's why I say, you know, they really should put a little paragraph of it, some hibaksha, what they went through. Not mine, doesn't have to be my mother's, but somebody so that they see that at the same time where they're talking about low yield. Like, <laughs> that's no big deal, you know. Um, yeah. And I think that's 
you know, that's one of the most powerful parts of the museum or the Peace Park is when people see the children's monument and hear the story of Sadako Sasaki yes. and, and be able to fold the cranes and wish for peace in their own lives. Or at the August 6th ceremony when people write messages mm, on the lanterns yes. and set them on the river. You know, these, these are important ways for people to personalize it, think about how it works in their own life, and then that will perpetuate change, I hope. Exactly, exactly, me too. That is my hope. Yeah. I have a lot of faith in the students of today and the kids of today, I do. Yeah, oh, that's so good to hear. Because um, there's been so much, uh, what do they call it, uh, polarization in America mm. now. So it's it's yes. great to hear that you still see hope in future generations. It is in the young people that you see it, you know. Um, and and I, I'm so grateful to see that, especially where there's book bannings and everything that's happening. It's it's nice to see that the young people are stepping forward, you know, and they're saying they want to be they want to know these things. They want to be able to accept everyone, you know, um, and, and to make that human connection. And it, it's a wonderful thing to see right now. All the adults were not always so great, but, you know, I, I have a lot of faith in, in our future with them. That's great. Yeah. And it's crazy, isn't it? Like we have more information access now in this generation than ever, but still there's too much information and a lot of it, you know, it could be false information. So I really think we're kind of going back to trusting books and authors and researchers more than just our online research now, right? We're kind of reverting back to, because it's too hard to control everything online. Exactly. It's like if you can go to a library and you know it's written by an author and well-researched, it's almost like we have to step back. <laughs> to, it's yeah, instead of Wikipedia or whatever or blogs or whatnot. And you know, and I think too is 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 that if they can listen to each other's sides or each other's points or points of view, I think that that would help a lot instead of immediately putting up a defense and going, okay, well, no, I'm not going to listen to anything about it because you don't know what the other side, what they've gone through, what is happening. And um, I, I think if we can open up those dialogues more and hopefully these stories, you know, there's so many wonderful, um, diverse authors that are out there that are writing these beautiful books about countries you don't, you kind of heard of, but you really don't know what happened there. And I think it's just so important to, to have all of those um, that are available. So yes, I think they need to read those books. They're very important. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kathleen. And I always mention your book when I do Aww. tours around Hiroshima, oh, so especially sweet. Peace Park. No, because people are looking for more material, more stories. Once they hear about Hiroshima, it really helps people process and understand and connect it to their own lives. And, and so Aww. I really appreciate this beautiful book that you've written and all of the education and talks that you do, including joining today. Thank you so much. And oh, uh, just to give a shout out uh, for how people can find you. This oh, is yes. This is your Twitter, uh, <laughs> L Birkinshaw one, but also the main one is KathleenBirkinshaw.com, right? Yes, that is the website, and you can connect with me through there, too. There's a contact sheet. There's way for, uh, I have discussion guides for the book, so if teachers want that, they can request that there. Um, and I'm also at Facebook at, at author Kathleen Birkinshaw and on Instagram at uh, Kathleen Birkinshaw. So I, I love to be able to communicate with various people, and, and the students will write into the website, and it goes to my regular email, 
and I do always answer. It may take me a few days, but I always get back. And I, I just love to hear their feedback uh, and, and to talk with them on that. So that's wonderful. And you can find the Japanese version of the book on Kinokuniya, which is、uh, our most popular bookstore in, in Japan. And then on Amazon, the English version, and other good booksellers in America and、yes. other countries. And so, yes, the Japanese version is there. On, on the, it was so cool to see it in Kinokuniya the first time. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> you know? So、um, it just felt really good to see all of that. And the English version is doing really well in Japan as well. So it's, it's, it's nice to be able to see that. So I hope I can reach and visit more schools. I, I just wish I could speak Japanese. That's the, you know, but my mother didn't teach me. Oh, I think me,、so、you're, you're doing enough. You're doing a lot of great <laughs> stuff.、I、just hire a great translator. Translator who can help you. Yeah. You、uh, Wendy has commented from Facebook. Thanks so much,、Aww. Wendy. Great interview. Thank you for this important work and sharing you and your family's story. What an important message. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you, Wendy. That's so sweet. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for joining at this early hour. And thank you so much, Kathleen, once again. And、uh, please take care. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be back with you. Thank、Wonderful. you. Take care. Take care, everyone. Have a great day. Bye bye.